The sermon text for today comes from Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present to you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. We are in our last sermon through a short series on the book of Jude. It's been kind of a heavy book, a heavy letter, though it's short, it's just got a, a very serious punch to it. And it ends on such a delightful, hopeful note. So I pray that God would reveal himself in all of his glory and majesty as much as we can bear through this word today. Let's bow our head and pray that he would prepare us to receive this word. God, we, we thank you that you have given us your word, your words of life, and that we can have life through them. You give us stories to tell us to immerse ourselves in. You give us warnings to keep us from trouble. You give us examples of people who have tried and failed. And ultimately, you gave us Christ to work on our behalf, to live the righteous life we could not, to take the death, the punishment that we deserve. And now you've given us, because of him, you've given us your spirit that your words can come to life in us, that we can see your glory, your majesty, your dominion and authority, and we can gladly surrender to it. Work in us these words of life for the glory of your risen son and our reigning king, Jesus. Amen. There are some tasks in life that seem so enormous that as soon as you face them, you just say, nope, I'm not going there. I have zero motivation to even try and accomplish that. Before you even take a step towards it, you just feel so defeated. So you say, uh, why even try? And if you've ever traveled with a van full of small children, you understand what this feels like. As soon as you get home, it's two hours past bedtime. You've been on the road, in and out of places, eating all kinds of junk. You just back the van up, throw everything into the entryway. All of the dirty laundry, all of the souvenirs, the garbage from all the travel, the, the craft projects and travel games, it's just all piled on the floor and you, everyone's exhausted and all you can hear is the sweet song that your bed is calling to you. Come, sleep, rest. You know that getting everything out of the way would be a lot better right now. Just do it because tomorrow is going to be a lot harder. All the chaos of having no structure for the week, no healthy meals, no consistent rest, no privacy. It's just going to drive at you all day and you're not going to get anything done anyway. But you just got nothing left that night. The pile of work is too much. You've got no motivation to try. So you throw the kids into bed. You lurch your momentum towards your own bed and you fall asleep before you even hit the pillow, hoping that miraculously the pile is gone in the morning. 
And then you regret that decision for the next three days as you scramble to get your house back in order. <sighs> Similarly, Jude has been warning us much more seriously, actually, that in this letter, that dirty laundry and trash have subtly been piling up in our entryway of the church. Not the building, but in the family of Christ. It's harmful to our spiritual health if we don't do something about it right away, if we let it linger. It, this, this pile invites more problems in, invites creatures in that just make the mess even worse. If we let it, it will cause greater destruction. So Jude warns us, do it now. Contend now. Contend for the faith. Contend against false teachers. Contend against false narratives. Contend by keeping yourself in the love of God. We know we've got to do this enormous, monumental task, but sometimes it just feels so overwhelmingly impossible that we just want to curl up in our bed and hope it's all gone in the morning. I know that some of you have felt like you've been battling temptation for years. It feels like I've been trying to clean up the mess and I'm just finding no victory. Or you feel like depression keeps on creeping into your soul, weakening your resolve to do the hard work of contending. Or others of you just feel like you don't know your Bibles well enough to push back against the false narratives that the world is constantly telling us. We're told we must contend by keeping ourselves in the love of God. But we feel weak and tired, and the pile is building. It feels impossible to even accomplish any of this work that Jude has sent, set before us. But Jude ends his short letter with a promise, calling us to contend for the faith with confidence in Christ. Contend with confidence in Christ. God's glory is on the line in your salvation. And so he will do everything it takes to guarantee your victory in Christ. And here in verse 24, he shows us how Christ is contending for you. Right after he tells us, keep yourselves in the love of God, he reveals to us that Christ is keeping us until the end. And in verse 25, we see Christ has been reigning this way forever. God guarantees this victory based on his own character based on the character that has existed through all eternity, eternity past, at work right now, and promises to be unchanging, so we will praise his glory into eternity future. You can be sure, no matter the doubts, struggles, weaknesses you have, by focusing your affections, your attention on this God, you can contend for the faith with confidence in Christ. So I want to dive into these spectacular two verses, starting just with the first one in verse 24 to show how Christ is contending for you. So open your Bibles if you haven't already. Just read along with me. Verse 24 of Jude. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Now, most New Testament books often end with a greeting or some kind of encouragement to the believers that summarize what they've been talking about in throughout the letter. Jude ends his a little differently, but he's still reminding us of the goal of his message. He had said right at the beginning, I intended on writing to you about our common salvation. Took a little bit of a detour through that to warn about false teaching, but he's actually ending up right where he wanted to go from the beginning, talking about praising God for our common salvation. It's, it's this way of him emphasizing the way to overcome all of the false teaching is to focus on the truth of who God is and what he's doing, what he has done in Christ for your salvation. If we're going to contend for the faith against false teaching, we need to shift our eyes away from the problems and set them on the one who is solving the problems. And here Jude tells us, what Christ does for us as we contend for the faith, even in our weaknesses. There's two things in verse 24 that Jude says God is able to do for us. But before we look at those two things, let's just camp on that phrase, him who is able. This little phrase is the key to the entire letter from Jude. He is able you are called to contend for the faith. This eternally important task with grave consequences, as we've seen over and over, all of this judgment, all of this failure that he warns about. It seems like this impossible task. How can I do what nobody else has been able to accomplish in their own life? Who is able to contend for the faith? You might not feel like you have the strength or the wisdom to do it, but Christ is able. It's not just a possibility. Like, he's got this ability and he may or may not use it in your favor. The point of Jude saying he is able is to say that ability is at work right now for you in your life. This is what God is doing for you while you look to Christ. And the first thing Jude tells us Christ is able to do is to keep you from stumbling. Then you can exhale. Oh, after reading all of these warnings about failure after failure after failure, these subtle sins creeping in, these false teachers that are sneaking their way into the church, Jude said that angels and demons have been in battle over God's truth. Example after example in history of people failing to stand firm. And then you were just left feeling, I can't do it. They couldn't do it, neither can I. You shouldn't feel confident at the end of the letter to Jude that I've got this figured out. I can do this. I've got the strength to keep myself from stumbling where so many others have failed. It should leave you feeling helpless. Like, all I do is stumble every single day. How? How can I do this, Jude? How can I keep myself in the love of God? And his encouragement here is that even though you are not able yourself, you are not able 
to keep yourself in the love of God. You are not able to contend for the faith. You are not able to keep yourself from falling into sin and error. Christ is able. That doesn't mean you will never sin again or that you'll never be confused or that you'll never make a bad choice. But it does mean Christ will keep that from destroying you. He will keep it from keep us from giving in fully to the temptation. He will keep us from getting caught up in these false movements and keep us from causing harm to our church family. Lasting harm, anyway. You will fall. And you will feel inadequate. But your faith in Christ will then lead you to get back up and do something about it instead of wallowing in your weakness and failure. Jesus will always lead us back to repentance and faith in him. He will strengthen us. He will equip us and teach us what we need to know to overcome it. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is able and willing when we turn to him. And ultimately, he's able to keep you from final judgment. So Jude says, Christ is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. He's going to keep you from stumbling too often into error in this life, but he's going to eventually stand you firmly in the presence of God in the life to come. That word present you means to stand up, to stand it vertical, to establish it so it can't be moved. Most of the New Testament letters are concerned with getting a people to stand firm on God's truth in the face of all of the trials and temptations the world will throw at you. But Jude, throughout the letter, he's been talking like that. Stand firm against false teaching. But here he's talking about standing firm in the face of God, right in the presence of God himself. Jude's telling us that how standing now will affect how you stand then. We will stand in the face of God, in the presence of God then because we stand today against every, culture, or every wind or wave of cultural pressure and satanic temptation and worldly trial. On that final day, we will stand before God blameless, as though you never once fell, you never once sinned, you never once believed any lies. This is an incredible promise. Blameless is the same word that's used throughout the Bible to speak of the spotless animals that had to be presented for a sacrifice. Israel was not blameless, ever. But God mercifully gave them sacrifices to cover their sins. Oh, I sinned today. Let me grab a lamb and go to the temple and sacrifice it. The blood of that lamb covering my sin. But they weren't sufficient they had to do that every single time, every year, every week, every time they sinned. It's a bloody mess. But they, these sacrifices were pointing to a sacrifice to come that would once for all deal with all sin. 
This is what Jude mentioned in verse 3. The faith once for all delivered to the saints. He's talking about the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. We are not blameless, but Christ is. And he, through his death and resurrection, gives us his blamelessness. We are blameless on that day before God because Christ was blameless, the spotless lamb of God on the cross. We will be blameless on that day because Christ, the blameless high priest, right now stands before the Father's throne in heaven, interceding for us, pleading for help for us. And he doesn't do this. Jesus isn't working this way as some kind of stoic duty, as though he begrudgingly has to watch out for all of this room full of pathetic losers. You know, like when you ask your oldest child to watch out for the, the siblings and they're like, oh, do I have to? Yes, you do. And you should love it. But Jesus actually does love it. This is such an encouragement that he says that his work is full of gladness, of joy. That day in the end is going to be filled with such delight and praise. It's difficult to tell in this verse, really, when he says with great joy. Is he talking about our joy or about God's joy? And I say, as my seminary Greek professor always would tell me, they are both gloriously true. They're so wonderfully connected. Our joy is dependent upon God's joy. We're going to be full of gladness in the presence of God because he is full of gladness. Psalm 1611 tells us, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We will be full of joy because we will be in the presence of the one who is full of joy. Look at Zephaniah 3.17. Zephaniah promised Israel that one day, this God they worship, God who is mighty to save, will rejoice over you with gladness. He will exult over you with loud singing. What a day that will be. God does that to us. In Christ, God delights to save you in order that you will turn around and delight in praising him. It's a beautiful dance of glorious gladness. This is the work that God is able to do, that he is doing right now in your life if you are in Christ. This is Christ contending for your faith. And these are wonderful promises. God is cleaning up the mess in your life through you by your faith in him. And he does it because this is who he is. God is a savior. He's a mighty, glorious king who has come to rescue us. This is what verse 25 is all about. Christ reigning forever. Read that again. To the only God, our savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. There's many gods in this world competing for your attention, for your affections, for your trust. 
We look to many gods for safety, for rescue, for comfort, for joy, to, to create paradise, a utopia here on earth. If you vote for our candidate, we will make this country great. We will make you prosper. Everyone's trying to build utopia. Everyone is pursuing religion, even if they deny it. Oftentimes, we will just make ourselves that God, thinking that we are the ones strong enough to keep ourselves. We are smart enough to keep from stumbling. But Jude tells us there is only one God. He alone is able to save. He alone is worthy of your trust and affection. He's a saving God. Salvation is what he does. You don't need to compete with him. It's actually better for you if you just surrender to Christ. Once you recognize how powerful, powerless, powerless and pathetic all the other gods, all the idols, all our heroes, every government promise is, then you can finally turn and see that God alone is our savior to save us from every cursed thing in this world. This is what God has been doing forever. The Father planned to save his people from their sins before any of us existed. The Son entered into this cursed world to take that curse upon his own shoulders and crucify it. The Spirit right now is present with us in this room, in our city, going throughout the world to open people's eyes, convict us of our sins, to lead us to faith and joy in Christ. The whole story of the entire Bible from beginning to end is that God saves sinners through Christ by the power of his spirit. He is cleaning up our mess while we are weak and tired. It's God's own glorious character that's the foundation and the goal of this salvation. Jude strings together here four words describing God's nature. God's character to reveal to us how incredible this salvation is. He says, these descriptions of God aren't just this random collection of, of flowery words that you throw out at the end of a Bible letter, but Jude carefully chooses and arranges these concepts to remind us of God's ability and his purposes to save. These first two words are glory and majesty. They go together to speak of the weightiness, the preeminence of God. He's the glorious and majestic one. He's beautiful to behold. He's wonderful to embrace. It would be unconscionable to take your eyes off of this God. There's nothing that compares in beauty. What else is worthy of your gaze? And it's this glory that's the foundation of our salvation. He reveals through preaching, through the lives of, of the church family, his glory to the world. And when you look at that glory, you can't take your eyes off it. It begins to transform you. It makes you into Christ's likeness. And the more you become like him, the more you love and delight like him, and the more you want to praise him. 
This is the purpose of your salvation, that you would turn from everything you put your hope in, everything that captures your eyes' attention, and you would turn and just delight in the beauty and glory of God and praise him for his majesty. Not just his glory and majesty, but Jude also says his dominion and his authority. These things speak of the strength and extent of his powerful rule over all of creation. God is mighty to save. As one theologian once said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Jesus owns it all. And he's more powerful than it all. He rules over every single detail of your life. There is not a sin in your life wicked enough, a mind foolish enough, a heart hard enough, a soul lost enough, a demon strong enough that can keep God from saving his people and bringing you into his presence. God is able to save because he has power and authority over all things. He can choose whomever he wants to save and nothing can stop him. If he determines to save you and keep you from falling and stand you before God's glorious presence, he will do it. He will do it so that when you stand there, you will marvel at how in your weakness, in your exhaustion, in your failure, in your foolishness, you get to enjoy the pleasures of God forevermore because of his kindness to you. His dominion and authority is the foundation and the goal of your salvation. Finally, Jude assures us that these promises, this salvation, God's character is unchanging. This character is from before all time and now and forever. You can be certain that God will keep you from stumbling and stand you in the presence of his glory, blameless, because this is what he planned to do from eternity past. And that same eternal God is at work right now in your life, and he will be the one you will be praising for all eternity. He's working in your circumstances right now, even if you don't see him. Even if it, this all doesn't make sense to you and you have so many questions and doubts, even if it doesn't feel like his presence, but the world is crushing in on your soul, he remains constant. He won't change his mind about your salvation because you fell, because you made a mistake, because you believed something in error. He will draw you back by his glorious strength. He will contend for you if you keep his eyes, your eyes on his glory and draw, be drawn into his majesty. Jude's final doxology, I think, is just a wonderful way of saying what Paul told the Romans at the end of Romans chapter 8. I love these verses. Who shall separate us from the love of God, love of Christ? Are these false teachers going to separate us? Are our failures and our weaknesses, is gossip going to separate us? Is something going to prevail against the church? 
Paul says, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what subtle sins tempt you, no matter what spiritual battle our culture throws in our path, no matter what weaknesses cause you to stumble as you contend for the faith, you will stand in that day because Christ is contending for you. God is glorious and majestic. He's powerful. He's mighty. He has all authority. He will contend for your soul so that you can contend with confidence in Christ. And the only thing we can say in response to this is, amen. Amen, Jude ends his letter with an amen. This should be our response anytime we see such a beautiful description of God and his kindness towards us. Amen. This one word defines our final application. Amen is how we should live our lives. That's just not some kind of charismatic mantra the word means, let it be so. Let this be true in my life. Let this salvation be clear in my life as I stumble and yet in Christ stand again in his, his blamelessness. Let the glory, majesty, dominion, and authority of God be on display through my weakness. Jude told us in verse 24, keep ourselves in the love of God. When we turn our eyes to Christ, we realize it's him keeping us. This is the takeaway from Jude's entire letter. We contend for the faith by placing our confident trust in Christ, being enamored by his glory, surrendering to his rule day after day, saying amen to Jesus showing his glory and might in our own lives. Your faith is not best put on display when you are strong. You do not contend for the faith most effectively when you scheme up clever devotional lives, organize your life so that you have just the right amount of time for everything that you need to accomplish that you study and grow in knowledge so that you can avoid the traps that everybody else did. You do not show your hope in a resurrection by hiding yourself from every risk, avoiding every threat. You do it by putting his glory before your weakness every day. You put reminders throughout every room in your house of his faithfulness. Listen, every time you get in a car, turn on some podcast or sermon or music that, hears, that you can hear people praising his glory. Join with believers weekly to remind you of his strength when you are weak. In these things, he will keep you standing. And he stands you in order that you will praise him. These last two verses of Jude are called a doxology. It's a fancy old word meaning a song of praise, a statement of praise. Let your life 
be a song of praise. May these types of words flow constantly from our lips as we read these truths and say amen to God working in our lives. If you want to be victorious for contending for the faith, you need to become a person of praise who can see God at work and say amen. Look, get to know one another and look for God at work in each other's lives and tell them, I am praising God for the way he is working in you right now. Let those praises come from your lips. Avoid all the negative daily news and just look around, go for a walk and find the ways that God's glory is on display and praise him for it. Start and end your day praising him. Sing a song to him for his strength at work to give you life, to give you work, to give you salvation. In all of these things, this is how we trust Christ to work and contend for us as we contend with confidence in Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this wonderful work that you have done through this book of Jude. It is a challenging book for us. It is a difficult thing to be faced with judgment, to be faced with these warnings and these temptations and and these false teachings creeping in. How can we do it? Jude sends us off with confidence. We do it because Christ is able to do it in us. Give us the strength to stand firm and become people of praise who see you at work and cannot be shaken from these glorious truths and all of your promises to us in Christ. Amen.